Greetings, and welcome to the Random History Podcast. And just a reminder, as from now on, I will be only doing two podcasts each weekend just because, even though this is an unscripted podcast, I try to look into the things before to make sure I do not give any false information, and it was getting kind of hard to balance doing four podcasts a weekend with all the school stuff I have. So for now, or probably for a good period of time, I'm going to be doing only two-ish podcasts a week. I'm going to start off by discussing the Colossus of Rhodes, which is a giant statue of the Greek god Helios, who is the god of the sun, and who, which was built on the city of Rhodes, on the island of Rhodes, which is kind of cool. And this is considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and was basically constructed as a celebration. So I'm going to start off with what it. I'm going to start off with the Siege of Rhodes because the Siege of Rhodes is an important background, or gives you important background on why this was built. So, in the late 4th century BCE, sorry, Rhodes was allied with Plotomy I of Egypt, and they prevented this mass invasion staged by the enemy of both of them, a man known as Antigognus Monoplatis. He was Macedonian, I cannot remember exactly how to pronounce it, but it was the Anti- Anti- Antigonus I Monoplatis. It's hard to pronounce, look it up. And basically, the siege lasted for about a year or two total. And it ended up with when a force of ships like that Plotomy sent to relieve the army arrived. And Demetrius ended up fleeing the area along with his troops. And they left behind most of their siege equipment. And to celebrate, the Rhodians basically sold all the equipment left behind for about 300 talents. Which is may not seem like a lot, but 300 talents... It's each talent's equivalent to around 57 pounds or so of silver, which is a lot of money. And they decided to use this to build a statue to their so-called patron god, Helios. Thing to note a lot of times back then. Similar to kind of in Sumeria, each city kind of had their, a lot of cities had their own, like, patron god. I think this is even some Egyptian cities, they had, like, a patron god who was, like, the protector of their city. Who they usually make offerings to, and they decided to make a statue of him. And they ended up leaving the, the construction sorry, to the direction of a man known as Chir of Chiris of Lindos, who was, he was, he was born on Rhodes, specifically in Lindos, as you can probably tell from his name, and he had been involved in large-scale statues before. And the thing to know is that his teacher was actually the sculptor Lysippos, who may, some of you may know, for being the one who built a 72-foot-tall statue of Zeus at a place known as Tarentum, which is a city in southern Italy. Which I think is kind of cool how his teacher built a giant statue and he built an even bigger statue. And construction is began sometime around 292 BC. And there are some differing accounts of how it was built. Some say that it was built with... I mean, most of them, they differ in some way, but most of them basically say something along the lines of it was built with these iron tie bars, basically something that they could attach iron to. And they began to feel the interior of the structure. And I think it turned out the structure was actually mounted on a marble pedestal that was 49 feet tall near the Mandrake Harbor entrance, which was then filled with stone blocks as the production progressed. And other sources placed it on a breakwater in the harbor. But according to most accounts, it was around 70 cubits, which is the equivalent of around 105 feet tall, I think, to note. A cubit's about a foot and a half. And most of the iron and bronze ended up being reforged, or the iron material itself, in addition to money coming from it. The um, sale of the materials, a lot of them were melted down, actually, to be built as, to be used as parts of 
the Colossus, and the second siege tower that they abandoned may have been actually used for scaffolding. They actually ended up also using a large earthen ramp to build the upper parts. And during the building, they'd actually pile the dirt on like all sides of the Colossus that they could keep going up and up. And you know, kind of compress it a bit, and after, upon the completion, they actually ended up removing all the earth and left the Colossus to stand alone. And it only took around 12 years, which is actually pretty good. Remember, the Washington Monument took decades. This was a little bit over, only a little bit over a decade to build this one. And it's actually, um, they actually have the, like, the original dedication, or what is believed to be, like, the original dedication text for it. I'm going to read it real quick. To you, O son, the people of Dorian Road set up this bronze statue reaching to Olympus when they had pacified the waves of war and crowned the city, their city, with the spoils taken from their enemy. Not only over the seas, but also on land did they kindle the lovely torch of freedom and independence, for to the descendants of Heracles belongs dominion over sea and land. And some people basically say, like, the construction was based around the technology and like a statue's construction people have like created like what they think of like what they know is the accounts of, or what they believe are the accounts of it based on the technology of the time in addition to accounts of both philo and pliny who were these historians almost are kind of ex not necessarily only historians but they wrote a lot about what they saw in the base of the pedestals be say to be at least 59 feet in diameter and either was a circle or an octagon and the feet were carved in stone, and they were covered with basically these thin blonde flints which were riveted together. And then they had a total of eight forced iron bars, which basically radiated in this kind of horizontal pattern that formed the ankles and continued to, like, follow the lines of the legs. And allegedly, or like, according to what we know, they used individually cast curved blonde spits of their own 60 inches square with these turned in edges, which they basically managed to join together using rivets. Through these holes to form a series of rings, which basically allowed them to kind of wrap around it. And the lower plates were only around one inch in thickness, that was up to the knee, and then three fourths inches up to the abdomen, while the upper ones were anywhere from a quarter to half an inch thick, with the exception of major joints. So basically, the base was strong and helped support the top, then they kind of weakened it or like kind of thinned out the metal over time, which also would have helped with construction in addition to making it more stable just because. Even though a quarter of an only half using half as much iron for each inch may not seem as much, it adds up really fast per plate because they probably used a lot of plates, so it lets them save quite a bit of iron, and in some cases, kind of half the amount of iron they used. And the statue ended up standing for a total of 54 years, but unfortunately, in the earthquake after in, two, in two, 226 BC, Rhodes was hit by a significant earthquake, which saw, which saw major damage to both buildings, the harbor, in addition to snapping the statue over at the knees. And actually, Plotomy the Third ended up offering to pay like to rebuild it. However, the Oracle of Delphi, basically, who is this kind of, this person who was said to be this Oracle, kind of this prophet in a way, and they, she basically said that, or basically the what she said about it made the people of Rhodes afraid that if we, bu we build this, we're going to offend the god Helio. So they're like, nah, we're good, man. And the, the remains ended up laying where they were for around 800 years. And even though, like, they were broken, people were still, like, amazed and they traveled to see it. And Plymouth the Elder said that very few people could even wrap their arm, like, their entire arms could fit around the fallen thumb. And that let its, each of its single fingers were actually stronger and not stronger, but larger than a thumb. And unfortunately, despite lasting for 800 years in its destroyed forms, eventually an, an Arab force under the Muslim Caliph, I believe it's pronounced... Muawiyah the first ended up capturing it, and according to the chronicles of a man known as Theophanes the Confessor, 
who was a member of the like Byzantium who became a monk and kind of chronicled a lot of history. They melted it down and sold it to a Jewish merchant of a place known as Odessa, which is a city in what is, I believe, or was in a city in Upper Mesopotamia, sorry, uh, and it kind of became a pretty important center in Syria, Christianity, cool fact. And allegedly, or like, it took 900 separate camels to carry all of the steel. Not carry all the steel, but carry all of the um, bronze, which is a lot of camels. That must have meant there was a lot of bronze. And the thing to know is that this destruction and purported sale actually may have originated as a paddle, as a powerful metaphor to um, whoever does not know Nebuchadnezzar was this Babylonian monarch who had this famous dream in which, among other things, he foresaw the destruction of a great statue. And it's believed that it actually... St- so there was an initial impression of it kind of straddling or kind of over the harbor with it having one foot on either side. However, this is not really supported. It may have been a misconception. Because according to like the way in which it was built, they could not have been done that because in order to build it, they would have had to block off... Th- and then the entire harbor entrance, and then afterwards have to completely re-like build it, which would not have been feasible. And because it would have blocked the harbor, and we know they did not remove it, it would not have been possible. In addition to this, the, st- the way in which the statue was made using bronze, it would not have been able to support its own weight with its legs separated. Another thing to note is that there is no evidence that it also held a torch... Some people believe this may have been a misinterpretation of the statement of where they kindled the torch of freedom, and people interpret it as more of a, like, holding an actual torch. And I'm going to talk about some possible locations. People agree that it did not shuttle it, but where it was actually located in Rhodes is still up to some debate. Some people say that it was on the floor of the fortress of what is called St. Nicholas, or like what's called the Fortress of St. Nicholas, because there was a, basically a, a series of these, like, sandstone blocks that were unknown origin and that there were a bunch of certain marble blocks that basically seemed to be too fancy for a fortress and some say that this may have been the remnants of the marble base of the Colossus and some people say that it may not have actually been in the port at all and that was part of the Acropolis of Rhodes which was basically an Acropolis which is kind of this citadel of sorts which is built on the higher part of like on the hill in the city and it may have been there instead. And there was actually a plan for people to make a metal colossus of some sorts near this area or near another area. However, it has never been like carried out and these projects have both failed. Thanks for listening, everyone. And this was the Random History Podcast. Have a wonderful day.